All right, let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, without your help, our labor is useless. And without your light, our search is in vain. Guide our study of your holy word, that by due diligence and right discernment, we may establish ourselves and each other in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so this is it. If you've got any questions, you've got to get them out now. Um, let's see. Everybody has a handout. Everybody has a Bible. Everybody knows we're doing the last three chapters. And they, what happens here, uh, as you'll note, chapters 12, 13, and 14, is really just one, one story, one last scene. So there's a couple of things to think about here. Uh, and here's how we're going to do it. Um, uh, maybe, maybe what, so what we'll first do is just talk, just talk about what, what, what the scene looks like. But then also I want you to think about, any, as I lo- noted on the sheet here, any Bible stories um, that relate to this scene. And then also the very bottom question in bold, this is sort of one of the keys that, that I, and I, don't have a, I don't have a good answer for this. And, I, and so I'm curious about what you, what you have to contribute and you can think about this as well. Um, why this story, why this why this exchange comes last, why it's the last one for C.S. Lewis in the book. So, first of all, does anybody want to, or, or just all together, um, w- describe what's going on? What's, what's the scene? What's this last story? Go ahead, Barb. Oh, He's the, yeah, right. the bigger thing is uh, the giant is, right. is his city. And he meets her, and she keeps saying how wonderful it is, and it's loved, and, and he's so, did you miss me? What do you mean you didn't miss me? And, and you had to miss me. And, right. And he can't let go of his misery. Right. He can't let go of it. And she kept saying, oh, let go, you'll be happy too. You, you know, and he can't let go. Yeah. So now the, the, so he's the dwarf, and he's got this, Tall, really tall, imposing figure who he's got on, who he has on a leash. Anybody know how to pronounce which? Which? Where does the accent fall in that word? Tragedian, 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 tragedian. Okay, we'll do that. And then you could then you could say if it was a woman, it'd be a tragedian, right? We make it French. No, okay. So he's got this tragedian on a leash because um, his whole his whole his whole persona is built up in. In sort of evoking pity, right? This, this. So his. So if he can demonstrate that his life was a tragedy, or that his situation is a tragedy, then he can evoke pity, right? That's good, Nancy. Well, it's also the, the lady herself who was sort of you might say a nobody, right? Life, but in fact is very loving and cared for people, and she was highly exalted in heaven. Yeah. And she's this exalted person because of her love and good qualities, and of course her husband can't be this at all. Right. So, so I was going to play uh, David Bowie's Fame for you, but the t- I wasn't going to get the timing right, so instead I'm just going to say <laughs> I was going to play David Bowie's Fame, because right, the, one, of the, one of the key points comes, where is it? Uh, page, it's right away, um, page 119, George MacDonald is, is uh, so C.S. Lewis asks, 
on the bottom of page 118, well, she seems to be a per- person of particular importance. And George MacDonald says, yeah, she's one of the great ones. You've heard of fame in this country and fame on earth, that they are quite, two quite different things, right? So it's, it's because she's, this, she, she's on earth this apparent nobody. In fact, um, so take a look at her, her, how, he, how uh, George MacDonald describes her at the bottom of page 118. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. Um, so, and that's, that's it, right? <laughs> that's a, that, so now, interestingly, there's, there's some, all kinds of speculation about um, whether there's significance there. C.S. Lewis um, writes The Great Divorce. When's it published? 1946? I think that's what it is, right? And uh, he, throughout his career, especially during the war, um, was... was literarily um, anti-anti-Semitic. So he, he did a lot of things that to sort of to, to, to contradict anti-Semitism. And um, one of the, there's, there's this speculation that Golders Green um, was a particularly Jewish part of, of England. And so, and if you look, look at her first name, Sarah, right? Who's, who's Sarah? So C.S. Lewis at one other, at, at, there's all kinds of interesting speculation about this. At another point in time, he said something about how how, how um, Jews, converted Jews, Jews who, who believe in Jesus are the truest of Christians because, of course, they, they had the promise from the very beginning. Um, and, and, but, but it's interesting, nonetheless, um, that this is, all she, this is all that we have to describe her, right? A relatively, Sarah Smith, I mean, if it was Jane Smith, it'd be even more, you know, <laughs> obvious, right? And she lived at Golders Green, this place that, that, that we haven't heard of, certainly haven't heard of. Okay, what else? Anything else? Going on here. Well, she's a very large family. Yeah. T- t- go ahead. Continue. Go on. But it's not a biological family. Right. Right. It's just every insignificant little thing that she did mm-hmm. causes human being throughout her life, and she probably didn't think much of it. Right. So, can you think of uh, Bible stories that relate to that? Or, go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Oh, his relationship towards the Jewish faithful. Yeah. I studied this and one of the things is the fact that she had so many children because of the Jewish in the synagogue. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, um, I'll anybody here on Thanksgiving for the Thanksgiving Eve service heard hear this great sermon by Pastor Nelson about the um, the lepers, the ten lepers, right? So the one the one leper who comes back, he comes back um, because he's realized that. He can't, he can't go back to the synagogue because he's got this new community now, this community which is centered, which is, which is centered around Jesus, right? So this is, and this is the, sort of the conversion that takes place in, uh, when, in Christianity. You, uh, as, a, as a Christian, you recognize, just as Jesus says, um, uh, when, we'll look at this Bible story, who are my mother and brothers? These are my mother and brothers, right? The ones who, the ones who hear my word, right? Um, and in the same way, Sarah Smith's family happens to be anybody who, you know, to whom she's shown love, right? To whom she's um, uh, been Christ-like. Um, and it's remarkable because she has this, this, huge, this huge family then. And you, you think about um, uh, what's the, 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 the scene at Judgment Day with the sheep and the goats, right? And... Uh, you did whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me, right? So it really, this is sort of a, a description of that. 
every last little thing that she did, because she did it in, if we're, if, if, if we're going to talk about it sort of in Lutheran terms, because she did it in faith, um, was, you know, was presenting Jesus to, the, to these people. Okay. Not only that, she got the cats and the dogs and the birds and the horses. Right, Saint, she's, a, she's a regular old St. Francis, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's good. Any, anything else? What, what, anything else strike you about the, any other points of the scene stand out to you? How about this question? What's the first thing that she does? Do you, did you notice? What's the first thing that she does? Or, or maybe the first thing that she says? Okay, so the second thing that she says. Right, right. So she comes to Frank. Um, here she is, the most one of the most famous people in heaven, right? And she comes to Frank with an attitude of humility, right? Frank, before anything else, forgive me for all I ever did wrong and for all I did not do right since the first day we met. I ask your pardon, right? Um, she understands the relationship to um, to other people as one that that sort of rests on forgiveness. Um, uh, and she, selfless, she selflessly humbles herself before, before Frank. It's, it's this remarkable thing, that, and this is, how she, this is how she welcomes him to heaven, um, at, you know, pleading for his forgiveness. Anything else? What else? How does the, how does the conversation go between Sarah and Frank? Yeah, Nancy. Yeah. But then he would turn he would turn back and relate to this thing on the chain. Right. His persona or whatever that he built up of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in um so at the beginning of chapter thirteen, C. S. Lewis describes it this way. It's really I mean, it's really it, and this might be this might be the point. Um we'll, we can come back to this later. It's really a tragic scene, right? I do not know that I ever saw anything more terrible than the, than the struggle of that dwarf ghost against joy. Um, that, that is heartbreaking, right? To, to imagine seeing that, to see somebody struggle against, against joy. Um, and, and then, he, for he had almost been overcome. He had, he had become more like, a, like she's, um, C.S. Lewis says, he saw him, he seemed to become more like a man, to become more real, to become more present. Um, good. Okay. Anything else stand out for you? Well, I'm wondering if, if, if we're to see joy as being a shared communal emotion, and he just couldn't get past it, wasn't going to be all about himself. Right, sure. Because of self-pity. Then, you know, if it wasn't about him, he didn't, he didn't know how to... Yeah. He was, he was utterly unconcerned with uh, with showing compassion to other people, or what, what you know. So he, he, his first question was, but you missed me, right? Instead of, instead of saying, you know, I'm so glad that you're here and you're happy, you know. I'm so glad that you've been happy this whole time. Um, yeah, yeah he, wished, he wished that she had been miserable. And this is, again, this is again um, one of the major points that comes out of it, is uh, that position, right? The idea that, that you should... You should 
sort of force your pity on force your pity pity pitifulness on other people to to evoke their compassion um, uh, is backwards. It's upside down. That's not how compassion works. We'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah. And, and that was something I could really, really relate to because, like, just taking yourself really serious, right? And not being able to let go, like, uh, it said, it says, for one moment you didn't at all misunderstand her laughter. She too must once have known that no people find each other more absurd than lovers. And, and kind of the idea that, like, being able to laugh at yourself, laugh at your, I mean, your, your sin is absurd. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like if you can see that and be like, you know, I'm pretty terrible about it. It's like you can let go of it. Yeah. As long as you want people to like take it seriously and look at you and be like, oh, that's rough. Then it's like you can't. Yeah. Can't get past it. Yeah, that's a great point. That's, yeah, Leah. And it's like somewhere where Job could have gone, but he didn't. You know, it's like his pity. Sure. Um, you said Job. Job. Yeah. 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 Right, right, yeah. Yeah, right. The worst thing he had going on was his was his own was his own nature, his own self self pity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and yet, I mean, it's rem- it's remarkable. I, so we'll. There's, there's so much to say about this, but it's remarkable that, uh, to me, it's just one of the most striking things is that first she asks him for, 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 you know, for forgiveness when evidently he was the one who had been sinning against her for, for their relationship, you know. Um, uh, but, but nonetheless, this is what's so great about her character, Sarah Smith, this plain person, this nobody. Um, it's not that she didn't sin against Frank. It's not that she was sinless or pure um, it was her it was it was what was given to her right it was her faith it was it was the humility that's given to her by faith so it's not that, that she was more successfully a nobody than than Frank right Frank was they were equally nobodies right um, it, it was it, it was uh, it's, it's all it's all through Christ um, take a look I wanted I wanted to just give you a little bit of of reference here. Um, so if you know, let's see, um, there's this, we, we get, we get uh, teased a little bit and he doesn't give us an answer. On the bottom page page uh, 118, when C.S. Lewis first sees her, he's, he's about to ask George MacDonald if it's, if it's somebody, if Sarah Smith is somebody. Who, do, who is, do you, know, do you know by chance who he thinks it might be? You know, that's a possibility I hadn't thought of. Um, and okay, okay. Here, uh, so I was thinking. So all along, there's sort of this parallel between um, this story and Dante's Divine Comedy, um, where, where uh, Dante um, has the character um, Beatrice, right? So when he when so he goes, starts in the Inferno and then Purgatorio and then Paradiso, and he sees Beatrice, who is 
his love um, and, and, and uh, um, the sort of the embodiment of the, of the divine ideal. Um, but, but in any case, um, what, he, what he discovers is that it's not, you know, it's not anybody, it's not anybody special, uh, not anybody that he thinks in particular. But he's so surprised, C.S. Lewis is, by um, all, of the, all of the people that are accompanying her. And, and who are these gigantic people? Look, they're like emeralds who are dancing and throwing flowers before her. And MacDonald says, have you, have you read your Milton, A Thousand Liveried Angels Lackey Her? Um, and I looked this up because I thought it would be interesting to find out. Turn to the, on your handout, flip the, flip the page over. There's this, uh, it's really interesting. <laughs> there's this mask, and, and this is, this is, I'll tell you everything I know about it, which is not much. There's, the, there's this mask that um, John Milton wrote um, called, Com- well, it's, it's later called Comus, but it was written for a particular a performance in a particular setting, um, and it's about uh, two brothers and a sister, and the sister gets abducted by this fellow Comus. And all along, um, it's about it's a story about chastity. And all along, it's this um, it's this it's this play about um, about how her chastity prevails, right? How she doesn't she doesn't give in to the temptation um, that's that's presented to her by Comus. And listen to this. So this is where the quotation comes from. There's this dialogue. It's really interesting. Um, so, the, so, the, she, so her two brothers are talking about her, and the older brother says, My sister is not so defenseless left as you imagine. She has a hidden strength, which you remember not. And the other brother says, Which hidden strength? Unless the strength of heaven, if you mean that. The older brother says, I mean that too, but yet a hidden strength, which, if heaven gave it, might be termed her own. Tis chastity, my brother, chastity. She, has that, she that has that is clad in complete steel. So dear to heaven is saintly chastity that when a soul is found sincerely so, a thousand liveried angels lackey her, driving far off each thing of sin and guilt, and in clear dream and solemn vision tell her of things that no gross ear can hear, till oft converse with heavenly habitants, begin to cast a beam on the outward shape, the unpolluted temple of the mind, and turns it by degrees to the soul's essence, till all be made immortal. So it's in praise of this virtue, chastity, right? And which, which for the character of this play was her protection. It was what protected her in this in this trial. And this is uh, this is what McDonald is saying. This is this is her virtue. Her virtue is is chastity. But what we're, we're over to note, of course, is that it's not that she, you know, is is more chaste than any other Christian, right? In fact, she begs. We note this because she begs for for Frank's forgiveness, right? Because she's sinned against him. Where does, where does her chastity, where does that virtue come from? It comes from outside of her. It's something that's given to her. And, um, and we see that a little bit in John Milton here. It's a hidden strength which, he, which if heaven gave it, might be termed her own. So, so it, you know, it comes from outside of her. Um, and the result is, by faith, she's accompanied by you know, all of, these, all of these, these angels and glorious creatures. Okay? Uh, but that's, that's the reference. It's... Um, if you're interested in it, look up the look up the look it up on Wikipedia, which is where I got it from. Um, it's a very interesting story. Um, C.S. Lewis is is always making these sort of literary references, which um, I wish I knew more about. Um, okay, what else? Anything else? Yeah, surely. Yeah. Right. And this story really reveals that more so than some of the other stories we 
How, how is that? Yeah, because he's asking Frank, or she's asking Frank, just to give everything up. Right. And he cannot give it up. And one of the problems uh, that, that a lot of people have with all our commandments, they all refer back to the first commandment. Yeah. I have no other gods before you, but you have to give everything up to God and, and put your faith and trust in him. Right. That's what she's asking him. Right, right. Which is, you know, it's, it's this interesting thing. Uh, so the reading this morning from the, in the um, morning prayer, I, I read from Mark 10, which is the story of the rich young man. It's, it's interesting because you often think, you, you, you regularly think um, that the things that are going to sort of bind you, the things that are going to hold you back, that you're not going to want to give up are going to be things like wealth or your possessions, Right. But it's, not, it's, it's, it's just as we all know, it's not those things in particular. So when Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, what does he mean? It doesn't, he doesn't mean that, the, that it's, it's the money that's holding this rich person back, but it's, it's, the, it's the love of their, of their money, right? And it's the, it's the same thing um, that, we're, that we're seeing here. It's not, uh, it's not that um, there's something particularly special about Frank's situation, that he that he loves so much, except that he has he has control over it. He's he's got his hands on it. He's he's the one who's in charge because he he's he can he can evoke people's pity so easily, right? Um, this is this is why we read from Mark chapter ten. I wanted you to note. Um, I'll just read it to you rather than have you turn to it because we're going to turn to a couple other places here. But when Jesus sees the rich young man. Um, and he says to him, do all these commandments. And the young man says to him, teacher, these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Um, this is, this, this is the, the posture of Jesus towards sinners and broken people and sick people and the afflicted in the Gospels all the time. You see this all over the place. Watch for it. The, the Jesus, when people come to him, he is moved, moved with compassion. He is moved by their situation, right? Um, and when you think about it, um, one of the things that we, we ascribe to God, philosophically, okay, so if you, were gonna, if you were sitting in your armchair being a philosopher and you said, what is God like? Well, he is, he is unmovable, right? He is, he is what he's going to be, and he, you know, he's not going to respond emotionally to human situations. It, we get the exact opposite picture of God in Jesus, right? Jesus is moved to compassion. Maybe I've told you this before. The, uh, the Greek word, I wish we could, I wish, I wish we could uh, have it in the text with the, every time it shows up in the, in the Gospels. It's an onomatopoetic word. Onomatopoetic? Po- poetic? I don't know. Anyways, it's onomatopoeia, right? Uh, splangnitsomai, right? Um, which has to do with uh, your insides being all churned up. Um, it with, with emotion, right? Not literally. It with emotion. But it's, it kind of sounds like that. When Jesus sees somebody in need, he can't help but react with compassion. Um, we're just going to go stream of consciousness here. Turn to the last, let's see. What, for you it would be, I don't know which page. Bonus interview, NYT's David Brooks talks on humility, technology, and more. Jonathan Merritt, everybody see that in your handout? Second to last page. Okay, it goes, and then it continues on the back. Um, this is, it was this interesting interview. Um, Jonathan, uh, David Brooks is, a, is a, uh, uh, an opinion writer in the New York Times, and he's um, socially conservative, um, 
he, he gets some things, um, he, he says some, he's not Christian, or not explicitly Christian in what he writes. He may or may not be Christian. Um, but he says a lot of things about human nature which are very uh, perceptive. Um, and you notice that right away. Um, I quoted this in my sermon a couple weeks ago. Human nature, the, the, the second full paragraph there, DB, um, David Brooks says, human nature is biased in the direction of self-centeredness. Um, and, then he, and then he talks about how self-centeredness, self-centeredness has, has increased in the past 20 years. So the third full paragraph, we do studies that measure narcissism. Scores on this thing called the narcissism test. I took it. It's not pretty. Um, have risen 30% in the last 20 years. So I think there's evidence that we're just more egotistical than, once, than we once were. Notice what he says, though. We may be fairer and more compassionate, but, I, but we're also more narcissistic. So, it, so how does that strike you? Yeah, doesn't it? Right, right. So somehow narcissism for him is compatible with compassion. When we learn about compassion from Jesus... It's something which is utterly selfless, right? Something that is, is, is pulled out of you uh, f- from the outside, by, 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 by outside circumstances, by, by you being directed outward. So the reason why Jesus can be compassionate every time he sees uh, somebody in need is because he's always uh, turned out from himself towards, towards, towards his neighbor, right? He's, he's, we're quite the opposite, right? So if you're biased towards self-centeredness, then you're not going to notice the need of your neighbor, much less be compassionate towards them. So the reason why David Brooks can say we've become more fair and more compassionate is because, uh, perhaps because we've institutionalized compassion or made it into, made it into um, something mechanical. What we find out from Jesus, however, is that compassion is not simply the action, right? But it's something that's seated in the heart, right? It, it comes from love of your neighbor, which is, not, which is again, something that, doesn't come naturally to us. Something, something that has to be has to be given to us. So, um, and this is this is why Frank uh, is such a perverse character, right? Because his whole enterprise, his whole life is centered on um, capitalizing on true compassion, right? This thing which is which it, uh, see how does C.S. Lewis describe it or George MacDonald maybe? Um, page one thirty one, I think that's where it is. Yeah, I had the quotation on the page there. The bottom of page 131, using pity, others people pity, other people's pity in the wrong way. This is what, um, this is what, oh, wait a minute, this is, this is Sarah who's saying this to Frank. Stop doing this. Stop using other people's pity in the wrong way. We have all done it a bit on earth, you know. Pity was meant to be a spur that drives joy to help misery. That's, that's such a great description. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, but it can be used the wrong way around. It can be used for a kind of blackmailing. Those who choose misery can hold joy up to ransom by pity. Um, this is, and this is, um, fits completely within the character of how the Christian faith works, right? So, uh, so the fact that joy can be held up um, to ransom by pity for the sake of misery, that's, that's the character of the cross. That's the character of suffering. The fact that, that uh, joy is not... But joy is, uh, is not something that um, is, is, in, is enforced or compelled. The fact that Jesus gives up his life and it, it isn't taken from him, right? Um, the fact that, it, you know, this, it ends up being kind of cliche, but, but it's, so, it's so true, right? What held Jesus to the cross? Not the nails, but 
his love, right? Because he could have commanded his angels, and a legion, you know, thousands of angels would have come in. He could have, just as the people mocked him, you know, saying, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. Well, he could have saved himself, right? Um, but, but it was, uh, you know, it was the fact that joy could be held up to ransom um, by, by, by pity so, uh, that, that describes the character of the cross and the character of, of the Christian life and suffering. So finally, one day, right, this is what Sarah Smith is experiencing, finally one day there will, there will be only joy, right? Um, and, and it will all be compassion, but there will be no need, right? Um, and that's, that's what we look forward to, you know, in heaven. Um, okay, how you doing? Any questions? All right. Um, C.S. Lewis raises a very power, a very potent question here on page 135. So, uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll just give this to you. The, 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 your second page, um, you see side by side this poem that the angels are singing about, or the, bright, the other bright spirits are singing about Sarah Smith, side by side with Psalm 91. Um, in your free time, you can, you can sort of take a look at that. Um, it's, it, what, you, what you might ask yourself is, what, what has C.S. Lewis done with Psalm 91, and how has he, how has he sort of translated it to the this, to this situation? But then on page 135, C.S. Lewis has watched the scene, and he says, And yet, and yet, said I to my teacher, when all the shapes and the singing had passed some distance away into the forest, even now, I'm not quite sure. Is it really tolerable that she should be untouched by his misery, even his self-made misery? Right? So C.S. Lewis is asking, how come, how, come she, how come there's an end to her compassion towards him? Right? How is it that she's unmoved? Um, because she just sort of, once, once everything's resolved with Frank, once he dis- disappears, um, and all that's left is this tragedian, um, she just moves on. She goes on. What's, what's the resolution? What's the answer to that question? What is, what, how does George MacDonald answer it? Yeah, right. And, ha- and what, what's the, the, how is that pictured narratively for us? What, do you remember what the, the exi- George MacDonald shows C.S. Lewis something? Do you remember the, the crack, right? The tiny little crack through which the bus had come. Yeah, you can't, you can't, it can't fit, it can't fit through there. Um, uh, on the bottom of page one thirty-five, uh, McDonald says the demand of the loveless and the self-imprisoned that they should be allowed to blackmail the universe that till they consent to be happy on their own terms, no one else shall taste joy. That theirs should be the final power. That hell should be able to veto heaven. That's, um, that's. What sounds merciful, but you see what, as, uh, as he says, that's what, that's what lurks behind this impulse, right? So finally, as, and as we saw earlier, it's not that um, they're unpitiable, but that they won't, they, won't have, they, won't, they won't receive true pity. They won't receive true compassion. Remember, um, weeks and weeks ago, what did the one character say? I'm not here for, I'm not here for bloody charity. And, and she says to him, just have the bloody charity, right? Just have it. Um, uh, okay, so I was going to play one piece of music for you guys because this, this popped into mind. Um, page 136. Here, we really are just going stream of consciousness. Um, top of page 136, McDonald continues, It must be one way or the other. Either the day must come when joy prevails and all the makers of misery are no longer able to infect it or else forever and ever the makers of misery can destroy in others the happiness they reject for themselves. 
I know it has a grand sound to say you'll accept no salvation which leaves even one creature in the dark outside, but watch that sophistry or you'll make a dog in a manger the tyrant of the universe. Do you, do you know what that means? A dog in a, I had to look this up, so it's not that I... Uh, so if you put a dog in a manger, what is a manger for? It's feeding, feeding animals, right? You put a dog in the manger, then what? The, the animals can't, can't eat, right? And the dog that sits in the manger just to prevent other animals from you know, eating, eating the hay. That's a, a, perverse, a perverse dog, right? Now, this is, this is, very, uh, I, this is very biblical. Um, this is the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 23. Turn to, turn to Matthew 23 real quick in your Bibles. This is a really uh, a brutal chapter for the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus and his woes... Um, he really lets them have it, and they deserve it. Um, let's see. 23, especially verse 13. Listen to what he says here. Everybody see it? 23, Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. This is, this is precisely what, you know, what, what Frank is trying to do. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Uh, this, I, as soon as I, I read that, every time I read that, what pops into my head is, any guesses? Godspell? Well, I'll just, it's a short song. I'll play it for you. Hang on. I love it. It's good. Yeah. We should listen to some uh, Well, maybe... Some other time we'll listen to some more Godspell. This is great. It's great music. Um, okay, so but you see, uh, you see how how what the, the scribes and the Pharisees are doing. How they would uh, how how they would prevent others. They would bind up burdens too heavy for for others to bear, um, thinking that they've secured a place for themselves in heaven. Um, but they bind up these burdens um, and and neglect mercy and pity and compassion. Um, and and uh, prevent others from entering heaven, which is, I mean, if talk about deadly sins, right? If you were gonna, if you were going to um, impose your misery on somebody else, um, right? So that and so prevent them from enjoying the, you know, rejoicing in heaven, that's uh, a pretty devastating thing. Okay, <clears throat> how are we doing? Any questions? Okay. Let's see here. I want to <clears throat> take a look. We're, we're jumping back here for just a second. Um, turn in your Bibles to... No, let's do this. Let's just look at this. Let's just look at the last question. Why, why, did, why does this story, why does this story of Sarah Smith and Frank come last in the book? There are no wrong answers. <laughs> Barb? Well, it leads to, like, page 139, which I think is so interesting about the time. Time? She was, hell can't hold her because she's too big. Right. And I never thought of hell as being tiny. Sure. Yeah. So tiny. And also at the bottom, I never thought about, you know, if there's only one that's descended into hell, and he will ever do so, and he will ever do so again. Not that he did. It's time. I never thought of Christ like he's always in hell. He's 
Sure. It, well, it, 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 yeah. The I just thought, okay, he went down once for penitentiary, and then he stopped. But it, it's because there's no time with Jesus, so he's always like proclaiming. He's, he's the proclaiming the, the, uh, the the proclamation, and, and well, so another way, to, another side to the to the coin is that Jesus' sacrifice, right? His 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 sacrifice is um, is is eternally making propitiation. For, for our sins as well, right? So, so Jesus stands eternally before, so when we get to heaven, it's not, it's not that there will be an unbloody Jesus there, right? Um, but, the, but the blood of Jesus is our joy in heaven, right? So, and, and it's, precisely that, it's precisely that fact which, which enters into eternity, this, this fact of time that Jesus sacrificed himself and suffered and that the, that the, the proclamation of his salvation goes forward even, even into you know, the, the gates of hell, um, that's that's something that's true for eternity, right? Right. 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 And well, and you you think about the the image the image in relation to like being turned curved in on yourself too is it's it's so poignant, right? Because if, if just like um, so, if you if you finally pulled yourself in so tight that you were only looking at yourself, only thinking about yourself. You know, you'd be this tiny little speck, right? And that's all—that's all that you'd be open to. That's all that, and you'd think that that, w- that was freedom. You thought because you, you, uh, you lived for yourself, you were free. When in fact, if you if you open up, if you turn out and and uh, and receive and give from it, what Jesus has given you, um, then the world is 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 immense, right? And you know that you don't, you can't do anything yourself. It's Christ, and Christ is so big. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And and this is and this is uh, why Sarah Smith is such an important character because um, he C.S. Lewis goes to you know such great lengths by not telling us anything about her to to make her an everyman sort of a person, right? So um, there is there is nothing spectacular about her except for that she that she trusts in Jesus, that she that she receives the joy. What's that? Yeah, that's right. What does she say? I'm I'm truly in I'm truly in love, right? Right. Um, yeah, Jan. And page 125. There's that conversation about what is love, mm-hmm. and how you know Frank said, did, "Does you know? Did you ever love me, or do you know the meaning of love?" And and down below she said, "You know, we have no concept on earth." Right of what love is. It's always selfish. What we call love is just really a craving sure. to be loved. You know, yeah. I loved you for your own sake because I needed you. There's, it's so opposite yeah. God's love right. and Christ Jesus' love for us. Right. Because we are the most despicable thing around. Yeah. Very honestly, because we're just filled with sin, so we go through baptism and put yeah. on his white robes. Yep. And he loved us before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we live in a world and where we where we think that narcissism and compassion can coexist, right? Um, <clears throat> and in what the world that Jesus has in store and what Jesus you know describes is quite opposite. Yeah. But this is really the core. Of our lives, where are we willing to love? Right. And where do we 
yep. we put out of that. Yeah. And, and I think that's what this is saying. You know, Frank the Tragedian puts his love in himself and in his own misery. And, yeah. And Sarah is, hopefully, we're like her. Yeah. And we're helping and, and showing Christ's compassion. Yeah. Yeah, that, and it goes back to what Shirley was describing about the first commandment, right? So the, the first commandment, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? Um, that you have no other gods before Him. What does it mean to have a God? Luther talks about this. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, uh, it always kind of, kind of bugged me that, uh, that the people of Israel would be held accountable for the wickedness of their king. Um, but so often they are. They suffer because their kings are wicked. Well, it goes back to um, how, they, how they came to have a king, right? When they came out of Egypt, they trusted in, they, they had God as their leader, Moses their prophet, um, so they, they had, and Moses was the mediator, they trusted in God. That was a great yarn. Oh, man. <laughs> they, 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 okay, they trusted in, they trusted in God, um, and, and so God gave them every good thing. But then they said, no, we want, we want a king like the nations have, and it's just like the psalmist says, put not your trust in princes, right? Because what happens if you trust in princes or you trust in a king? Well, you get what that prince or that king gives to you, right? And if that king is wicked, then you, you inherit his wickedness, right? It's, his wickedness is imputed to you, just like if you trust in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to you. Um, if you trust in misery, if you trust in yourself, you're going to get what you trust in, Right? <laughs> And it's not, it's not, it's, um, not, it's, you're right, it's scary, right? And that, and that, so it, it, speaking in Lutheran terms, this is how, this is how law and gospel work, right? So through the law, through this, through this realization that's brought, you know, that, that, that Jesus teaches us um, how we really are, how turned in on ourselves we are, how self-centered we are, and how much we trust in ourselves, and how much we love our misery, right? When we realize that, um, he, he comes with this proclamation and says, I, I've forgiven it, right? It's taken care of. Don't, don't worry about it anymore. Um, and, and that's the only way that you can get around it. It's not by, it's not by uh, you know, any problem that you have is not solved by sort of mustering up your best efforts, right? It's not, it's not the way it works. Um, it's only by turning away from your own efforts towards Jesus, towards Jesus' work. Yeah, Nancy. I wonder if the reason that he put this story at the end wasn't that he wanted to get to this point of why some people are not going to be saved. Yeah. Because I think that's been an issue. Well, if, if God's got a level, how can, how can he send anyone to hell? Well, in fact, he doesn't send anyone to hell. Anyone to hell. Right, yeah. I, I don't know whether maybe he wanted to make that point at the end. That could be. I mean, yeah, he certainly touched on it before, but here we get a real, a real vivid picture of, of uh, or description of what's, of why that's the case, right? Um, and why, why Sarah Smith, you know, even though she would, she can't go to, she can't pursue Frank to hell, right? Um, yeah. Carol. Okay. Without everything that had come before. Sure. Sort of, it's a, sort of like in life, you 
Yeah. But e even that dwarf and, and the self-centered thing, each of the other characters, in a lot of ways, are very identical. Different problems, but they're identical. Right, right. And they, it's sort of like the, the culmination of it. And then as Mandy said, if that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and to this point, and you know, the, the bright people have been, uh, we, we haven't known much about them, right? We haven't, we haven't really learned what it is, what it looks like to, you know, to become a bright person or who, who does in fact become <laughs> a bright person. Um, and here we have, here we have the, them set quite in op opposition to each other, right? They're, they're, uh, Even though it's not specifically said, the bright people do nothing to become upright. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, oh, I just wanted maybe maybe um, I thought maybe you'd have a, you'd wonder about the 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 end of the twist of chapter fourteen, right? It's all just a dream. So what C.S. So what C.S. Lewis is careful to do here. Um, George MacDonald, as he's sort of as he's sort of waking up, page one forty four, um, in the middle, C.S. Lewis says, "A dream? Then I'm not really here, sir." No, son," said he kindly, taking my hand in his. "It is not so good as that. The bitter drink of death is still before you. You're only dreaming. And if ye come to tell of what ye have seen, make it plain that it was but a dream." Right. So he's so this is what he said in the preface as well. Right. This is not a. This is, not a, this is not a vision of the future. See that you make it very plain. Give no poor fool the pretext to think ye are claiming knowledge of what no mortal knows. Right? He's not, he's not claiming... So, these are, so the Swedenborgs and Vale Owens, they claim special revelation, extra revelation from God. That's not what he's talking about. Instead, he's, uh, he's, provi he's, 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 he's giving you a framework to sort of think about, about your life and your faith, um, not a picture of heaven. No, it just seems to me... Right. It's kind of like untreated. Yeah. Because I think whatever is real, we wouldn't be capable of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, it's, and that's the point that uh, um, we've t we talked about a little bit too in, in your Christianity, right? That that there's. I mean, it's, it, our understanding is it's finite at this point, and we'll see things uh, eventually that we we never we couldn't imagine, we couldn't comprehend, couldn't fathom before. So. Okay. So we're quitting now for, for the summer. Um, and then we'll pick it up again. <laughs> that would be great. Um, anything else? Otherwise, we'll, we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. This was great.